Good morning, Veritas. Good morning. Is it too cold for you guys? Good morning, Veritas. There we go. It is cold out there. What happened? Winter, I guess, happened. Um, my name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here, and man, I can't wait to dive into James chapter 1. I'm going to round up James chapter 1. But before I do, just wanted you to know, did you guys know that Mark Arendt wrote a book? Most of you don't even know that he wrote a book, and I think that's intentional. Like, he's not going to get up here and say, hey, I wrote a book. So I'm going to say that for him, because this is incredible. This is pure Mark Arendt. This is pure Veritas. Anyway, they're available uh, back you know, where the, the books are, if you walk out those doors off to the left, there's a place where uh, books are and everything. It's called The Advantage of Average, and you will just love it. Even the illustrations are done by Austin here, and it's fantastic, and I just, m- most of you don't even know it, so I wanted you to know. All right, um, we're going to jump into James chapter 1. I've got a question to frame in um, just what we're about to encounter in James chapter 1. question is this, if if somebody came to you, maybe they don't know you very well, but they've watched you at the, at the workplace, neighborhood, playground, whatever. And maybe they said to you, you, you seem like a religious person. Are you religious? What would be your instinctive response to that question? So a lot of Christians, I think, we, we feel almost a duty to say, oh, no, I'm not religious. I'm a follower of Christ. Or I'm not religious. I'm a Christian. We, we would tend to want to pull back from that idea of, are you religious, right? And I get it. I think, though, that James, in the just couple of verses that we're going to look at, I think James wants to redefine for us religion and maybe even give a different response that we might have if asked, are you a religious person? I I think we need to reclaim, along with James, this idea of what it really means to to be religious. So, With that in mind, let me read for you James chapter 1, starting verse 26. He says this, If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, yeah, then his religion is useless. Actually, he's deceiving himself. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. It's just a couple of verses, so let me read it again. Let let it sink in. If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless. He, He deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. All right, James is going to introduce this idea that I think is already instinctive in your hearts and souls already, that there are a couple of ways to think about being religious. And the first one is that one that gives you the gut response, like, I don't want to be religious. And that is the hypocrites, the hypocritical religious people, okay? James knows that. We know that. There are people who think they're religious. Look at the way he starts that off in verse 26. There are people who think of themselves as religious, but they're not. They're, they're hypocrites. And we all know these people. We all know those people who claim to be religious, and they actually give Christianity a bad name. They, they make Jesus look bad because they're claiming to be religious, but they live totally differently than, than their claim is. And so we, we get that. What, what he's saying is they're deceiving themselves, right? Because if you let your, your, your eyes glance to the, the part of James that we just covered, Mark walked us through last week, it's because they're unchanged by the word, 
These are hypocrites because when the word comes to them, it's like water off a duck's back, right? It just glances off them somehow, or, or they look in the mirror, see what's here, but they walk away unchanged. There are religious people who maybe sit among other religious people, and the word is going out to them, and maybe the word even comes out of their mouth at times or whatever, but they're unchanged. They're completely untouched, untransformed by the word. Here's what Jesus said about those kind of religious hypocrites. Pretty strong words coming from Jesus from Matthew 23. I'll have it on the screen. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of the bones of the dead and every kind of impurity. Okay, Jesus is speaking so strongly, so pointedly at religious hypocrites. Saying, yeah, outwardly, whitewashed tombs, you're making yourself look a certain way, but the closer you get that, that word there for impurity is the word for filth refuse, uh, decay, like a stench, right? So you might look at this, and on the out, outside looks all whitewashed, and the closer you get, you're like, what reeks? What, what stinks around here, right? The closer you get to religious hypocrites, it's repulsive, right? It, it's, it makes you nauseous. So that's one way. There, there is that religious person that's just a hypocrite. What James is trying to say, though, in our text here, is that there's a different kind of religious person. This is the true God-fearer. In fact, the word religion in Greek is, it means God-fearer, uh, somebody who's awestruck by God, S someone who considers God and does maybe what happened in those last songs that we were singing. You, you just tremble before him. You, you're in awe of him. You, you're worshiping. You adore him. That kind of true religious person um, is also true. All religious people aren't hypocrites. There are truly God-fearers out there. So what he will do in these couple of verses is paint a profile of what a truly religious person is. Now, it's not a complete profile. He's, he's not going to fill in every gap, but there's going to be enough there to get a, a general picture. You're like, okay, I can spot a truly religious person from a hypocrite, okay? Now, before we dive in, I've got a warning for you, okay? Here's the warning. Don't be fooled, because most religious hypocrites don't know that they are religious hypocrites. They've fooled themselves. That's what James has just told us. They've deceived themselves. Here's what I'm telling you. There are some in the room right now, I promise you. And you don't know it. Because you've not allowed God's word to show you what is actually true. In fact, already you've figured out these kind of defense mechanisms to kind of block out what might get into your soul and confront you. And, and you've got this defensive shield up. And what I'm saying is, please, as we go through this text, hear what James is saying. Don't be fooled. Look carefully at what James is saying. Allow it to reveal what's actually true about you and then act on it. If that doesn't happen to you today, I'm afraid you're just going to go into another level of hypocrisy. You will be worse for having come today if you do that than had you just stayed home. <laughs> Don't get really good at letting God's word hit you and glance off and be unchanged by it. So let's go into this with a posture of like a little bit of fear. Like, okay, James, I don't want to be that guy. I want to be truly religious 
by the way he's going to define it. Okay, so the very first thing, you are truly religious if you control your tongue. You're truly religious if you control your tongue. So he is going to elaborate on this a lot in chapter 3, but for now, all he says is if anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. So I'm going to let him uh, speak more boldly when he gets to chapter 3. I'm not going to read it for you now. Some of you have read through James, and you know when you get to chapter 3, you get that like really uncomfortable feeling, right, because he just goes after us. So for today, let me just, what I did was I just glanced through the book of James, just a few bullet points, and then we're going to move on, because that's all he does here. He's going to land it more in chapter 3. But for now, how do you treat others, especially with your words? How do you speak to others? I want you to ask yourself, look in the mirror, how do you speak to others? Especially those that you might consider beneath you. Now let's get real practical. There's a whole lot of people, many in the room, who are in the service industry. I spent a lot of years in the service industry. How do you treat people who you know it's their job to serve you? How do you talk to them? How do you talk to people, maybe even, this happened to me just this last week, it kind of blew my mind, twice in one week. I was actually in a text thread conversation with somebody on the other side. I'm trying to figure out, I think it was the airline tickets from Zambia, whatever. And, and all of a sudden, on the thing, it said, can I just say thank you? You've been the, the kindest customer I've had to deal with this week. And I look back through my thread. You guys, I wasn't overly kind. I was just the most basic of politeness. Thank you. Could you help me, please? Whatever. And immediately I thought, in fact, I even t- I said, I'm really sorry. I don't know what kind of people you encounter on the other end of that text thread, but that's remarkable that I'm... <laughs> that. Here's what I'm saying. There are humans on the other side of even that. How do you treat people in general? How, how do you treat the other person in line at the retail store? How do you treat the people next to you or in front of you when you're stopped at traffic and they haven't gone in the speediest way that you think they should? How do you just... How do you treat people with your words, okay? I'm seeing some nudging going on. I'm just going to let that go. Flip to the other side. What words do your best friends hear from you? What words do your... I'm seeing more nudges. How, how about your spouse? How about your children? So now we've gone from people that are kind of removed and distant and you feel like are in a different category or something in your mind. What about those nearest to you? What words come out of your mouth? What would they say? What about cursing? He's going to talk about that, especially cursing that involves using God's name as a curse word. What words come out of your mouth? How quick are you to be irritated? How quick are you to complain? How quickly are you agitated and your words bring that out? Jesus was maybe even more direct about this point. So I'm going to read for you some of Jesus' most stinging words from Matthew 24. Here's what he says. The mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Now, I just want to stop right there. Just know this. Here's what Jesus is saying. Those words, they come from somewhere. All they are is a reflection of something that's going on in your heart. A good person produces good things from his storeroom of good, and an evil person produces evil things from his storeroom of evil. I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have to account for every careless word they speak. Do you get just a gut ache when you read that? I I hope you do. I do. 
Well, it's just going to increase when I finish it. For by your words you'll be acquitted, and by your words you'll be condemned. Why? Not because of the words themselves. It's because of what the words are reflecting. <laughs> the words are only the barometer to tell me what's actually going on in your gut, in your heart, in your soul, right? That's why your words will either acquit you or condemn you is because they're revealing. All they're doing is revealing what's actually true of your heart. So to claim to be religious but have no control of your tongue, you're fooling yourself, okay? You've deceived yourself. And, and it's time for the blinders to come off. It's time to actually look in the mirror and see what God is trying to say is actually true of your heart and soul, all right? Your religion, he says, is, is worthless, useless, if you have a claim to be religious but have no control of your tongue. All right, <laughs> let's move on to the next one, like, as if we need another one, but we do. Because now he adds a second layer. He says, if you're truly religious, you will have compassion for the weak. If you're truly religious, remember, this is a profile generally. This is what good religion looks like. You have control of your tongue and then you care about the poor. Verse 27, pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this. You look after orphans and widows. See, religious hypocrites are preoccupied with themselves, polishing up their tomb, <laughs> polishing up the outside, right? So they become blind, intentionally blind. They blind themselves to the most vulnerable people around them. Okay, quick illustration from, from Jesus again. Remember the most, one of the most famous parables of the Good Samaritan, right? Here's a man who's been robbed and beaten and bloodied on the side of the road, and here come a couple of religious people. The first one is a priest. The priest comes by, glances over, sees somebody in need, and what does the priest do? Puts the blinders on and walks by on the other side of the road. Next, a Levite comes, another very religious person. Sees, sees with his eyes, that's what Jesus said, sees with his eyes, there's a blood, somebody in need. Puts the blinders on, walks by on the other side of the road, and it's actually this kind of half-breed, this rejected Samaritan that actually does the right thing. And actually, this is, this is what is going on. James is trying to say, you have to have eyes to see and then actually respond to those who are vulnerable and in need. If you're really religious, you don't walk by on the other side of the road. You don't put the blinders on and pretend like you didn't see what you just saw. Your impulse, if you're truly a religious person, if you're truly a Christ follower, you lean into those who are most in need. Now, he uses widows and orphans because historically, people groups all over the world, and even to today, don't have a, a, a civil government that has a welfare system, right? When, when people are destitute, they lean into family. They, they, they lean into those that can care for them. They don't have a government that's going to do that for them. That was certainly true in the first century. And so the most destitute, the most needy, the most vulnerable people were widows and orphans because they were cut off from those who would naturally be the ones to help them along. So they're left, they're stranded, they're, they're vulnerable, and they're in distress. That's what he said, they're, they're in distress. Which is why, if, if you're doing the Bible read program, you will have noticed from Genesis all the way through the Old Testament, all the way through the prophets, everything, God is going to say this recurring theme, you care for the most vulnerable. You care for the most needy. In fact, I'm going to judge you on how you relate to me based on how you treat the most vulnerable. Psalm 68 is a beautiful example of this where, where God is saying, Here, here's who I am and I want you to follow this path. Psalm 68 says this, God in his holy dwelling is a father of the fatherless and a champion of widows. God provides homes for those who are deserted. Don't you love that? God in his holy place, 
the most religious, right? The holiest one, he's in his holy, and what does he do? He goes down and helps the fatherless and the widows and provides homes for those who are deserted. That's what he's trying to say in James. That's, that's what true religion. So th- this text uh, occurs as I'm coming back from Zambia with the medical team. And so th- this was beautiful how God kind of ordained the ordering of things. Because I, I want to show you, church, a beautiful way that this church family has responded to the need, the distress of widows and orphans in rural Zambia. So I want to show you just a couple pictures Uh, The first one is of the team that was assembled in order to help the distressed. So I put this one on instead of just the Mzungus, just the Iowans on there, because I wanted to see this is actually who partnered together. This is actually the team. Now, if you can happen to spot the Iowans there, it might not be too tough. Uh, I'm going to start in the uh, uh, upper left there. That's Frankie. He's actually not a medical doctor, but he works with our middle schoolers, so that gave him a ticket to there. Anyway, there's Frankie. There's William, the dentist. Marlon is actually from Ames. He runs the agriculture project over there. Fantastic guy. But uh, Dr. Tom, then circling around Brenna, Marie, myself, and then Christian. Christian was just on keys over here. That's, that's the team of people who God assembled to go and see what we could do about the distress. So our prime objective in the, in the next uh, picture you're going to see, the prime objective was to do a ribbon cutting, an opening for this clinic that God allowed this, this little local church here to put in rural Zambia where thousands, thousands of people were completely underserved, had no ability to get to any kind of medical help at all. So by God's grace, we opened the Kabansa Clinic along with our Zambian colleagues. The, there's a clinic, there's a maternity where, where babies can be birthed safely and in a sterile environment. There's a staff house. In fact, go, go to the next picture because these are the incredible, the true heroes. They're going to be staying there. They live there. So we put a little house so that there's like a duplex, uh, you know, women on one side, men on the other. So uh, don't you love Faith's little nursing hat? She's so sweet. Anyway, she got the little white nursing. I love that. Anyway, these, these are the true heroes. They're living now in Kabansa Village, bringing health care to thousands of people who had no access to any kind of Healthcare. I want to go to the next picture because all this wasn't our idea at all. That is Joe Kalunga. He's a school teacher in Kabansa Village and began to pray with the rest of the people, oh, that God could provide first safe water and then a clinic. This was his uh, <laughs> scaled uh, little three-dimensional cardboard vision of what a clinic could look like. Compared to what we drove up and saw, it's amazing. God did so much more than this little cardboard cutout, you know, thing. But that was the vision that, that he had and began to pray towards, so he's, he's truly a hero. So what you'll see in the next picture is we did this ribbon cutting, and there's the plaque, uh, Kabansa Village Clinic, donated by, and there you are, Veritas Church. There you are in the, in the bush, the deepest bush of Zambia, Veritas Church of Iowa City, Iowa. And, of course, to God be the glory. So this is the chieftainess. Uh, they're still under a chief system. There's a civil government, but they're the real, I don't know, kind of presence in power locally is these chiefs all around these different regions. She's the chieftainess. She's pointing to our flag. I'm pointing to their flag. I'm saying, this is a partnership, right? So we co- cooperated with not just the tribal chiefs, but the district commissioner, the Zambia Ministry of Health to make this truly a Zambian endeavor. They, they own it front to back. So why did we do that? Look at the next picture. Because these adorable people are in distress. 
The reason I picked this of all the pictures is because don't you love, well, obviously she's adorable, but her sweet little hand on Brenna's knee, is that not just the cutest? That just is such a beautiful picture of going and helping people in distress and actually putting flesh and blood to that, touching them, holding them, bringing healing to them. Now, there's many, many happy, happy pictures like this, but they actually don't tell the whole story. I want to go to the next picture because uh, here's what happened. The night before, actually, the clinic even opened, um, our first patient walked up, and we're still putting beds together. We're sitting, but this mother brought her sick child. Now, look how tiny she is, and that's a pretty large kid for her to be carrying around wrapped in a chitanga cloth around her back, but that's because he's so sick he can't walk. What I don't realize at the time is how sick he is. So I'm taking pictures, our first patient, click, 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 right? And I'm not realizing how. So as it turns out, they, they get him into where they can begin to uh, check things out. And two, two of our doctors come and pull me aside and they say, Jeff, he's burning up with so much fever from malaria. If we don't get him to a hospital, he's not going to make it through the night. Now, thankfully, we had a vehicle there and we were able to put faith uh, the, the nurse in and his parents get him up this treacherous road. To, that even took a long time. You can talk to the people in the picture about this. They're, oh, there's a vehicle going to Serenje. Can we go? Can we go? Can we? So it takes like an hour to like, no, 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 no. And oh, gets him up. And, and by God's grace, there was a clinic and even a vehicle to get him to. But right after that whole fiasco, uh, trying to, no, get away. We got to get. Anyway, that gets done and a woman walks up to our doctors, she's four to five months pregnant, and her water has broke. They rush her into this brand new, not even opened yet, maternity, and they discover that the child has already passed away. But the baby is breached, and she's unable to bring it to birth, and so now things get really serious because she's about to lose her life. Without the medical intervention that was there, not, not just our doctors, but their doctors as well that were there, her life was spared by God's grace because there was a place for these, these folks to go. And I almost felt like that was the right kind of evening for us to have. I said to one of our doctors, I said, tears, you know, and I'm saying, you know what, I, I don't actually want to give you any words of compassion. I think you need to feel the pain because we need to absorb the pain. That's why we're here. This isn't to put lipstick on a something. This is a need. There are people in distress. They need this. And thank God you were here, right? So here's where James 1 really comes into play. I want to show you the next picture. Because, because this clinic endeavor has been going on, the gospel has been going out in Kambansa Village and all around. You guys, scores and scores of people are giving their lives to Christ because they're seeing, oh, you're actually coming to help us in our distress, in our time of need. That's true religion. I want to know about that religion. You guys, two witch doctors have given their lives to Christ because the gospel has gone out through the efforts of this clinic. So many of them had come to Christ. They want to get baptized. Well, it's dry season. There's no standing water anywhere. So we get on this path. We go an hour on this path outside of the village to finally find enough. This was just one tiny little stream that had clogged up enough to give us enough water to baptize. You can imagine the... The thoughts going through my mind as I stepped up to the water to do the baptism, like, what else is living in this water, and what else is coming to drink some of this water? As, But you guys, 
They wanted to get baptized. They saw that they are now children of Jesus Christ, and they wanted to be baptized because that's what people do when they give their lives to Christ. I don't know what your excuse is. Seeing dark, dank water was not an excuse for them to not get baptized. They were saying, I don't care what it is. I want to be baptized. I'm ready. I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Let me show you their makeshift auditorium for all the people that are coming to hear the gospel. This is their auditorium. See the elephant grass all around and the logs that are there to sit on? You think it's uncomfortable because we're a little crowded in here? (laughs) They put 500 people in here to hear the gospel. 500 people have come into this grass enclosure to hear the gospel in three different three churches have been birthed because of these efforts is that cool that's james chapter one at work right so let me give the last word to uh pastor morgan pastor morgan i know he looks 16 but uh he's actually now he's married has a child he he's the pastor that's pastoring all these all, all three of the churches that have been birthed through this here here's what he said now forgive his broken english by the way English is maybe his fifth language. He has mastered all the tribal languages and can speak the gospel. So if, if his English is a little clumsy, it's not because he's illiterate or, or not very smart. He's actually brilliant and compassionate, and I just want you to hear his words as, as he speaks them. That clinic is helping many people. I can comparing it to church because also receiving a lot of people to find salvation I'm telling you, Dr. Jeff, by the way, I'm like, no, doctor in theology, not helpful to you. But anyway, (laughs) I'll just, whatever. I'm telling you, Dr. Jeff, God, through you, you have helping many people their lives. Church number one, people of Chibobo. Church number two, people of Cabanza. Church number three, people of Kayombe. And all the visitors, we appreciate your job. And a lot of people saying, Baptist church, we can go into worship. Listen to this. You help me to bring the lost to our Father. <laughs> you help me to bring the lost to our Father. My prayer is God gives you more and more years and more protection. Thank you. It's because that's James 1. People are seeing, oh, this is true religion. You care about us. I want to hear about your God, right? And that's how the gospel goes out. You know that's actually happening in our area right now? Through the way that this church had begun to pull in uh, orphans through our foster care system and adoption, many in this room right now. In fact, there's a meeting. I'm just going to put this up for those who just want to know more about how we're doing that, not just internationally, but right here. Meeting coming up. Because just this week, Shane has received six calls to this church family saying, we have children in need and we're hearing that you're the kind of local church that responds to widows and orphans in their distress. Two of whom are infants. Just this week, Those are the calls coming to this church family. Why? Because people are saying, oh, those guys just aren't blowhards out there making a claim to religion. Oh, we hear that there are people who are truly truly religious, caring for widows and orphans and people in distress. So I hope that whenever you see people in need, the disabled, the impoverished, the mentally ill, we're... Whoever they are and however they cross your path, don't turn a blind eye, okay? Don't turn a blind eye because truly religious people, they actually care for the weak. Okay, very last thing that he's going to give to us. If you're truly religious, control your tongue, compassion for the weak. And lastly, if you're truly religious, you pursue holiness. Pursue holiness. He says, yes, you care for orphans and widows in their distress and... Keep oneself unstained from the world. 
when he talks about the world, the, the way that James is using the word world, it's uh, a world gone astray, a world estranged from God, right? There's a creator God, and, and we live east of Eden, right? People are estranged. We, we talk about people being lost. That's because people are running from God and get themselves lost, right? That's the world we live in. Um, they, they can speak any way they want. They don't care about their word. Why? Because they don't think they'll ever give an account to God for those reckless words. They don't care about the weak because they're trying to climb over the weak to, to vaunt themselves. That's the world that we live in. That's the air that we breathe. You can't help but getting, getting some of it on you as you're just walking through the world that we live in. Okay? That's what he's saying. You get stained up. The last picture from Zambia I want to show is actually the, the cap that I took with me. I wish this picture showed it. It didn't used to be this color. Like every bit of, of Zambia is still in that hat. And so I had to wash it when I came home, right? Because everything, you just take your suitcase and you just go to the washing machine, right? Because Zambia is all over and through every fiber. You can't help but walk through Zambia and not have it get on you. Here's what James was saying. You can't help as you're walking through to get some stains on you. Are you working to get that off? Are you realizing that the, the air that you breathe all around is affecting you and how you treat others, how you use your words? Everything? He's saying, you've got you've to realize you're unclean. I don't know about you. Do you feel like already from two verses, you've got a lot of work to do? Because I feel like I've got a lot of work to do. I feel like these two verses are power-packed. And here's your first step. Here's my first step. We have to talk to Jesus about this. Because Jesus is the one who actually saw you and me while we were the ones who were on the side of the road, beaten, bloodied, and we actually weren't even calling out for help. But Jesus, when he saw how pathetic we were, how helpless, how weak, how vulnerable, how distressed we were, Jesus didn't look down and turn a blind eye. And here's the reality. The reason we were beat up on the side of the road is because of choices we had made. We weren't victims, <laughs> okay? We got ourselves in a whole lot of trouble, and there we are. But even then, Jesus doesn't say, ah, oh, you deserve it, and keep walking. No, no. What's Jesus' posture? He comes to us. And even after, even after many of you are here and you say, I've already given my life to Jesus Christ. I am a Christ follower. Well, even you, you start getting the stains again on you, don't you? You start thinking like the world all over again. And you start stumbling around. You got that scab on your knee. Oh, man, I kind of fell. Oh, wish I hadn't done that. Jesus comes down and says, oh, you're clean. I've cleaned you, but your feet are dirty. Let me wash your feet. Let me come to you again. James is, is throwing up the mirror. Are you keeping yourself unstained from the world? Are you going to Jesus on an ongoing way to say, oh, Jesus, those stains, they showed up again. I don't want those. Cleanse me. Purify me. So there we are. Are you religious? you a religious person? Look at the barometer of the words of your mouth. How compassionate are you for the weak, for the vulnerable, those, those in distress? And are you pursuing holiness? 
And our answer again is to come to Jesus and ask him to do what we cannot do for ourselves. So what I'd like to do is, uh, I'm going to pray for us, but I want you to prepare as I pray for, for communion. Because here's what communion so beautifully depicts for us. When you come to communion, you come back again to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because the, intentionally, Jesus is saying, it's not a one and done. I don't just bring you to myself and then you're off to the race. No, no, no. You are constantly in need of grace, right? Constantly in need of his love, of his forgiveness. And so we're going to be taking communion today, and I can't think of a better day to take communion because this is the day that we say, Jesus, thank you again for your salvation, and now please help me. Please help me. I've got another bruise. I've got another stain. I need you, Jesus. So will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for saying to us what is true. Because we deceive ourselves a lot. And then, usually, Lord, I surround myself with people who just back up my deception with affirmation. Because that's what I like to hear. And then your words come to me, Lord, and uh, you reveal to me who I truly am. But you don't just leave me there in shame and disappointment. You welcome me home. And you come running toward me. Not with anger, with love and compassion, mercy, a fresh dose of forgiveness. That's what I need. That's what I come to you for right now. And that's what you offer in abundance. So may this worship be true worship. May our religion be true religion. Because of you, Jesus. Because of you. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.